Today's episode of The Rise to Top with Tim Ferriss is brought to you with no interruptions whatsoever. Thanks to our good friends at GoToMyPC. Easiest way to access your Mac or PC files from anywhere. So, you know, if you're on the road or you're on your iPad, or on your iPhone, all that stuff, it works with everything. Check it out. Head over to GoToMyPC.com. Click the Try It Free button. You're going to see a 30-day free trial. And the promo code RISE, you're going to get 45 days free. So an extra two weeks to test it out. And now here's today's episode with Tim. All right, well, welcome, my friends, to the Rise to the Top. David Seitman Garland, very excited for this gentleman today. I'm going to give him the extreme Cliff's Notes introduction here. So Tim, he's the author of the number one New York Times bestsellers, The 4-Hour Workweek and The 4-Hour Body, Angel Investor in Facebook, Stumble Upon Twitter. Ooh, he was called the world's best guinea pig by Newsweek, and he's the author of the new book, The 4-Hour Chef, The Simple Path to Cooking Like a Pro, Learning Anything and Living the Good Life. Tim, I didn't even breathe. Welcome back, my friend. It's great to have you on the Rise to Top again. Yeah, it's great to be back. You are looking lean and mean, my man. Oh, I appreciate it. And you know what? I'll give, I'll give Four Hour Body a little credit there for sure. I've definitely implemented some of the strategies in there, among others. So I, I, I appreciate it. And, you know, I was thinking about something that is kind of, as I, I'd love to admit that I don't read every single person guest book on the show, but I read every single one of yours. And a theme that I thought would be cool to talk about today is sort of your approach to learning because yeah. that's sort of something consistent throughout all your books. It's like Tim figures it out and experiments it and masters it, then he shares it with us, whether it's work, body, food, whatever it might be. So why are you so passionate about this in general, like being able to master stuff in, I guess, a, a short period of time? It started with a few things, I would say. Uh, the, the first was... My, my family was just very supportive. My parents were very supportive with education. We didn't have a lot of money, but for books, they were willing to, to buy me whatever I wanted, and no matter what. And so uh, that's where it started, but where, I, where the, the drive really crystallized, we're, we're in two places. The first was when I had my first extended time abroad outside of the U.S., which was a year in Japan as an exchange student at age 15, and I'd failed at Spanish previously, all right? So I was bad at languages, I had decided. And I was about six months, no, no, let's see here, about five months in probably to my time in Japan and I was ready to throw in the towel. I wasn't learning Japanese, wasn't making much progress. And I went to a Kinokuniya bookstore in Shinjuku. It's a huge bookstore. They have a lot of English language books as well to try to find the Book of Five Rings, you know, samurai stuff because I was very fascinated by that. And next to that bookshelf, I found a poster that had the, at that time, 1,945 common use characters all on one poster. Mm, a and cheat I, sheet, if you will. Yeah, and I, so I stared at it for a while and I was like, that's Japanese on one page. And so I put that on the back of my door in my, in my room with my host family and I just worked through it. And like, no matter how tired I was, no matter how depressed I was about my progress, it's like at least 10 characters a day and then I upped that to 20, then I upped it to 30, and by the end of that year, I went, came back to the U.S., and I went from Japanese 1 to Japanese 6, and you know, scored better on the Japanese uh, SAT 2 test than, than a number of native speakers who were friends of mine. And that just kind of blew my mind, that you could, from a cheat sheet like that, develop a very unorthodox approach to languages when I hadn't been able to learn Spanish and to like totally nail Japanese, which was a reflection of the process, not, not my like weird genetic ability. And then when I got to uh, Princeton, so first year at Princeton, uh, became really fascinated by, by neuroscience and biochemistry and started experimenting with smart drugs. 
Oh, who doesn't do that when they're in college, I guess. But yeah, yeah. there you go. Different kind of thing. Yeah, this was before you know, Ritalin and Naderol, thankfully. So I had to be a little bit more creative. So imported things like Prastam, Hydrogen. Uh, one of the more interesting ones was uh, Desmopressin, which is actually prescribed to, to adolescents who bedwet past a certain age, oftentimes by doctors. It's an antidiuretic hormone. But okay, what it, interesting. But it also, what it also uh, has an impact on is short-term memory. And it's a nasal spray. So it's really fascinating about it. It's, it's a synthetic version of vasopressin. So if you ever drink too much and you like time travel and I uh, can't remember things, it's because uh, it's affecting your ability to utilize vasopressin. And Interesting. Vasopressin. So the, the reverse alcohol binge or blackout is like taking two shots of this vasopressin. And I would do that before my Chinese character quizzes. And I could just flip, 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 and then score 100%. And that, was, that also sort of opened up the question of like, well, well, what are the limitations of learning? Like, how far can you push this? I mean, if you can learn a language in a year and be functionally fluent, reading, writing, everything, uh, when people tell you it takes a lifetime, like, what if you could do it in six months? What if you could do it in three months, eight weeks, which was basically my progression through, through other languages? And... Uh, so all of those adventures in accelerated learning ended up uh, in this new book. Because that's kind of my third major obsession. You know, you have the, the work lifestyle stuff. You have the OCD physical performance stuff. And then you have the learning stuff. And uh, which is fun because one of my heroes is Benjamin Franklin. And, and his trinity was healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? So, right. Got it covered. Yeah. So this is, this is the third piece of that puzzle. All right. Very cool. So the, really the concept, I think we'll... We'll kind of deep dive into this a little bit here and kind of go through some of these concepts because I know a lot of people are sitting here and thinking, okay, there's something I want to learn this yeah. year. Do you know what I mean? Or in the next in the next six months, I, it's a language, it's a skill. They want to become a master archer. I don't know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> they want to uh, learn how to make another hundred thousand. I don't know whatever the different things are that they want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought maybe we could break this down and maybe use some specific examples that are either your favorite examples or things that you've done. Yeah. Um, but in general, the first concept here, before we get start with deconstruction, is you've got meta-learning as kind of this concept. Is that just basically another way of saying like fast learning or accelerated learning? Or what, what do we really mean by that? Yeah, so the term meta simply refers to going one level up and then looking at the things below it. So if you look at, let's say, you have uh, a, an experiment. So a clinical experiment, any kind of experiment, a, a meta experiment or a meta study then goes one level up and they're like, okay, we're not looking at the results of one study, we're looking at the results of 30 studies. And so meta learning is just learning how to learn. That's all it means. Okay. It's, 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 it's not learning a specific subject necessarily, it's looking at all subjects and how humans learn and studying that. Okay. So meta learning is this portfolio of techniques for accelerating learning regardless of the subject. Got it. So you can apply it to boxing and cooking and whatevering that you're possibly doing. Yeah, so marketing campaign, whatever. Perfect. So let's break down these little concepts, uh, just kind of giving everyone like a view because I want people to kind of walk away from this and be able to say like, okay, I can start thinking about the ways that I can apply this. So the first thing that you do uh, is deconstruction. Can you kind of explain what that is and maybe a way that you've applied it or one of your favorite examples? Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's say you want to be a, you know, a successful author. Okay. All right, good well, example. Yeah, I mean, successful author is really nebulous, and it's this kind of amorphous, huge task. So deconstruction is, very literally, breaking it down into Lego pieces, different components 
so that you can then do the second step, which we'll get to, which is the selection, like the 80-20. What are the 20% that will get me 80% of the results I want or 80% of the way there? So in the case of, of, of being a successful author, all right, well, there are different ways to, to define success, right? You could be a New York Times bestselling author. You could have a best-selling book that is not reflected in the New York, New York Times list. You could, uh, you, following the, the general theme that your network is your net worth, which is, is, is my approach to things, that I will write a book. You could write a book specifically for, let's say, a thousand-person audience that you want to develop relationships with. Uh, so defining that, first of all, like motive, right? So that's one of the pieces. Secondly, you have book sales readers. Okay, so doing your homework and realizing that, let's say, in a soft period for the New York Times week, if you have distribution through channels that report, this is a separate, con a longer conversation. Yeah, but I know, I know this conversation. But yeah, if you get a certain in the certain bookstores and a certain counting and in a certain week and yeah. all that stuff. So, but let's say it's ten to twenty thousand units sold per week that report properly to potentially hit the list. Let's just say that. Then your, your task suddenly becomes much more manageable, right? And uh, in swimming, let's say, I'll use a completely separate example. Swimming, you have, all right, you have buoyancy. You have using your hands, arms, using your legs, yep. using your torso. You have how frequently you train. You have length of workouts. Uh, is it intended to be a workout or should it be completely stress-free? Um, all of these different pieces that you can then look at separately so that you get a, a cleaner understanding. And one of the ways that you deconstruct something, or a number, there are a number of approaches that I use to deconstructing something. One is interviewing experts. So oh, I, yeah. look, I look for the anomalies. I mean, you know a lot about this. It's my, fa my favorite. That's what you do. So I will look for the anomalies. I'll look for the, the people who train differently and get spectacular results. Uh, and that just requires a little bit of work on Google and Wikipedia, really. Uh, usually, let's say it's a sport. I'm not going to go after Michael Phelps. He's he's too in demand. I'll look for a gold, like a silver medalist from two Olympics ago, mm -hmm. and then I'll I'll try to reach out to them. Of course, the easiest way to get their ear is to let's say you know write a write a, a blog post on Forbes.com or or wherever. Right? I mean, you have your own outlet. It's not that hard to get a hold of, them, or you just pay them. I mean, it's astonishing how cheap it is. Like fifty bucks an hour for you know a, a Skype session with someone like that, which I did with a the former number one ranked surfer a while back for learning pop-ups. Huh. Uh, and then you have, I have a set of interview questions that you can ask. So it's like, you know, for instance, um, what do you do differently uh, or, or uh, in terms of training compared to other world-class swimmers? Uh, who do you know who's incredibly good at swimming who shouldn't be? They don't have any of the genetic attributes of, let's say, you know, a Phelps who's a yeah. mutant. They don't, have, they don't have the wide shoulders and the little thing. They, they're like a, it's like a fat guy or something. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Or the same thing for like ultra running, right? Like who, who runs 100-mile races who's like 230 pounds who should not be able to do it? How do they train? Who's their coach, et cetera? Another approach is reversal, right? So let's say building fires is an, is an example in the book. And uh, we're, we're taught like, okay, it's the paper at the bottom, then the kindling, then the bigger log, then the half logs, then the biggest logs. Well, it turns out that wastes like 80% of the heat that you could generate. So what, what if we did it upside down? So you actually have the biggest logs at the bottom, then you rotate second biggest log and all the way up to like the kindling paper at the top, and you let it burn so that the embers fall down and you capture almost all of the heat benefit. Uh, so reversing things. And that could, that could be as easy as uh, looking up, who knows, like uh, your, uh, you know, your Butterfinger, right? So you could look up like reverse Butterfinger on Google. I'm not kidding. My favorite and, healthy meal. Yep. Yeah, exactly, which we should mention. But 
or you could look for like reverse shot put, reverse bench press, and, and things will pop up that will at least force you to view the skill through a different lens. Mm, interesting. Uh, and it goes on and on. But the, the deconstruction is really figuring out, okay, how can I break this overwhelming amorphous skill or objective down into precise Lego pieces that I can then evaluate? Okay, got it. So now we have those Lego pieces. So we, we've broken them down. We've either interviewed some people. We've you know, uh, deconstruct it, whatever we want to do, reverse engineer. Um, and now it's about uh, sequencing, correct? Or, or, or I'm sorry, s selections. I'm sorry. Right. I just skipped. I just skipped. I skipped an S. We're going back. Uh, so it's about, it's about selection. So this is kind of where the 80-20 rule, I believe, comes in. But what's sort of your, your simple process for deciding, I guess, what, where to move forward here? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So for, and for people who want to remember the acronym, it's just like DIS, like, 80s style or um, you know, DS, DS3, if you like PS3, there are ways we can go about it. But, so you have, uh, it's DSSS. All right, so the, the first S is, uh, and the next step is selection. So 80, like straight 80-20 principle, right? So Pareto's law, how do you, what are the 20% that will get me 80% or more of the benefit? And for, let's say, languages, Spanish. Okay, you want to try to become functionally fluent in Spanish in 12, 8 to 12 weeks, which you can totally do. Um, 1,200 words, roughly 1,200 words, the highest frequency words, will make you functionally fluent in that language, like mm -hmm. very truly. And even in written English, like the, the, top, the top 100 words are, I think, something like uh, more than 50% of all written English can be covered by 100 words. Okay. So that, that, that is your minimum effective dose, just like with the exercise stuff in the 4-Hour Body for language. Uh, now, for grammar, let's just say that, right? And I don't want to freak people out because I know like, language, people are like, oh, God, it's overwhelming, it's too hard. It doesn't have to be. Uh, so with, with grammar, let's say, I'm not going to give you a huge table of like, conjugations to memorize because it's like a DMV form. You know, it's like a tax. Right. So goddamn boring. Right. No one's going to want to do it. So what I'll say is, look, super easy. All you're going to learn are like, I want, you want, so the first and second person singular, for four or five verbs. It's like, want need to go to have and you know maybe maybe one or two others that's it, right. it would the basics yeah. yeah literally take you a half hour to learn those and then what's awesome about that those are called helping verbs or auxiliary verbs what's really cool about that is now you can access all verbs because you just tag on the infinitive like the to eat to want whatever at the end so, so i now i can say i want to go to the library i need to eat Spaghetti or whatever right. the hell, and or people you just will point at it. <laughs> yeah, people will understand you perfectly. And you can also ask people like, "Do you want to eat spaghetti?" But you're only conjugating, you're only changing those four or five verbs, and it opens up the entire language. Oh. And so, using that kind of approach, uh, Michelle Thomas uh, was a former intelligence officer, Holocaust survivor, who was famous for teaching languages. And if you listen to any of his early audio, which you can get on Amazon, but make sure it's him. Uh, this is the approach that he takes, and uh, it's just amazingly, amazingly effective. I mean, you can get within eight weeks to a point that would take you nine months with Rosetta Stone by using the approach. Just like interesting, like, is there is there clues that you look for to know that that's going to be part of the the twenty percent to focus on on any given skill? So, like for example, I'm trying to think of something completely like random or even business related, like a uh, a skill like. Um, you know, you want to become, uh, I don't know, better at doing videos or something like that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. is, there, is there a way that you could, 
like look for some triggers that so in people's brains are like, oh, that's one of the 20. I want to focus on that. Yeah, sure. I mean, you, you could, for instance, uh, look at video. Let's take video. So video is an example. If we look at short form online video, right? Yep. Look at the top 10 YouTube channels, you know, and uh, look at the top 10 YouTube channels and look for patterns, but two types of patterns, not only what they do, but also what they don't do. So look at what they omit. Right. What are the things that are missing? Like it might be like, for example, it could be that they don't do a long intro at all. They just go right into it. That'd be an example of something that's or, omitted. Or, or for instance, like they, they do an intro after the fact, perhaps. Right. I'm making this up. Right. Whatever. Yeah. But what I would say is also what it's it's really easy to reach out to a lot of these people. And there's a science and an art to doing that. And so, I, you know, I, I talk about how to craft, let's say, an email to these types of people. But uh, reach out to them and just ask them. What are the biggest wastes of time that novices and mistakes that novices make when they're trying to get into short-term video, short video or short-form video? You know, what, are, what are the most common business mistakes that they make when they're first attempting to generate revenue? Uh, and you could cover that in five to ten minutes. You know? mm-hmm. and I'm going to ask you that later, by the way, about, about biggest mistakes on learning how to learn. I'm going to ask that later. Sure. Okay. I'm down. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, it's, it's really, the, the amount of value that you can extract quickly is just amazing. Uh, another, another piece of it, now this is, this is more related to frequency, which, which comes a lot later, but, and, and compression, like pushing things, like taking six months of culinary school and packing it into 48 hours, which was one experiment I did with a chef, which was really wild. Uh, but using tools properly also for self-evaluation. Like you could read about, let's say, the pose method of running, so which is this very like low impact approach to running that allows people who otherwise can't run to go incredible distances. And I could talk about it, I could show you diagrams, I could show you video, and you could go out and practice until the cows come home for months, and you would not get this you would not get as much value out of that as you would with me taking uh, like uh, maybe 60 seconds of video of you once a week for three weeks and reviewing it with you or even having you review it. You know, it's just like, so choosing the proper feedback mechanism also is very, very important. That reminds me actually of like uh, someone that you introduced me to who was Jamie, who's the, who's the hitting coach, right? In, yeah. in baseball. So Jamie had me go to a batting cage. It's a perfect example because I think people can take a song. He, he wanted to analyze my softball swing for me. So I went to a batting cage, hit slow pitch softballs, which is embarrassing by itself. Um, uh, with, with video camera and then I sent it to him okay and then he made a YouTube video for me privately thank God um, yeah. that was sent over and he breaks it down he's got this he says you know they move the end then I'm going up there like crushing it and, and yeah. you know what I mean and it's amazing I feel like if you just told me I don't know if I would have necessarily learned I would have if he's like just hold your hand I, I don't know I don't know what that means like but if I could see it there was something about the visual that helped me oh absolutely so you know that that's another something that can, I mean, really take a skill that, let's say you're trying to get to top 5% in the world, right? It could take a skill that might require two or three years and cut it down to two or three months just by using the proper feedback. Yeah. And it, it's, it's really that dramatic. Uh, so let's see. So that's, I mean, selection is, is doing 80-20 analysis. And it's a, a, a big part of that is identifying the things you shouldn't spend time on. So like for swimming, for most people, doing kickboard workouts, exhausting frustrating, just skip it. Get rid of it. You don't- now, here's my, sorry to interrupt you, Tim, but I was, I was thinking to myself, okay, I get what, how to find some of those tricks. I like, can ask the right questions to the experts and say those things. 
do you also ask similar questions as to where the waste of time are as well? Because that seems like that'd be very valuable. Because I'm trying to think, let's say I'm learning how to swim. I don't know if doing kickboard for 18 hours a day is helping me or if it's a waste of time. Uh, So, so how do you kind of decide if that's something that you should include in your process or no, this is in the, this is in the 80%. I'm going to kick out of here. Yeah. Well, there, there are a few different ways, right? So the first is if this is part of the equation, will you even do it? Right? So adherence is number one, right? It doesn't matter how effective a workout protocol is if you're only going to do it for two weeks and then quit, right? So adherence, like, is this something you will actually do, number one? And uh, if not, so like kickboard. I knew I would never do kickboard because I tried it three or four times and I quit. I'd given up. So I was like, all right, I'm not going to do kickboard. So is there a way to do this without kickboard? It's automatically on my not-to-do list. Like, just not going to do it. Uh, and then secondly, and I would say that when I'm talking to an expert uh, and asking them questions, I'd say half of those questions, and you don't need to always like, rely on experts. You can do this through books and looking at videos and all that as well. Mm-hmm. I'd say half of my questions are identifying things not to do. Okay, interesting. It's like, how do, how do beginners get hurt? Why do most beginners quit swimming, right? To really focus on the adherence. Again, like, I don't care how effective, how efficient it is. If I'm going to quit anyway after two or three weeks because of kickboard or fill in the blank, who cares? Like, it, nothing else matters. So I'll find out, like, all right, why do people... For instance, with the uh, with the, the four hour shaft. Oh, there it is. The actual dictionary that we have that we have there going on as usual. Very unusual book. But the with with the with cooking, you know, like why had cooking kicked my ass so many times in the past? Right? And so what what I started to study, which I think is is a very interesting way to approach things, is uh, you know, I didn't care why people bought cookbooks, which would be the usual thinking perhaps. Like I'm I gonna know, write, I know what you cared about. Like why do people buy cookbooks? No, no, no. I want, I want know, them to know why they, get, they put it down. Why do people put cookbooks down? Yep. That's what I wanted to study. And so then it's like, all right, you have, you have shopping, like grocery time. You have cleanup. You have wastage. You have you know, where you buy like, a, a, you can only buy a big pack of rosemary, but you'll use one sprig. And like, what the hell do you do with the rest of it? All of these issues. And then how do you remove them? At least in the beginning, so that you have early wins. How do you remove that stuff? Right? So it's like right now, because I'm amazingly, after not being able to swim for 30 plus years of my life, you know, I enjoy swimming now as relaxation. So now I'm like, all right, well, what if I added in the kicking? Now I can do it. If I did that in the beginning, game over, quit right away. Mm-hmm. Same thing with, with, with cooking. So for instance, if you, if you just gi- give an honest assessment of yourself, you're like, well, I want to learn how to cook. Why have I quit in the past? Knife skills, right? Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to use a knife and it seems like I need to use a knife. All right, get rid of them. Forget it. Like right. yank knife skills. Too many ingredients. That's one that comes off the top of my head. It's stressful. No, exactly. Too many ingredients, right? So it's like in, so in, the, in, the, in the first kind of cooking section, because there's meta learning, then there's domestic, which is the first cooking section. It's like, all right, how can we take all of the most important techniques of culinary school, two-year culinary school, and pack it into four hours of total prep time? So it's like 15 meals, uh, less than 15 minutes each to prepare, four ingredients or less, uh, and just make it easy in the beginning so that people aren't uh, trying to tackle too much at once. And this, is, this comes down to like behavioral change too, right? And I know we're, we're meandering a little bit, but... We meander. That's what we do here. We meander. Yeah. That's, that's the business model. So the, uh, if you talk to someone like BJ Fogg at Stanford University, he's part of the Persuasion Lab there. He's a really brilliant guy. And he, he studies why not only people do things, but why they fail at doing things. 
behavioral change. And for instance, if you try to teach people to quit smoking by texting, turns out a very high percentage of the people trying to quit smoking are older and they don't text. So now you're trying to teach two behaviors, quitting smoking and texting, and it fails. Over, right? So what, one of the points I make in the book is like, look, if you currently hate cleanup and you don't know how to do cleanup well and quickly like a pro chef, you know, screw cleanup. Let's skip it. So it's like for the first, let's say, five or six meals, use paper plates. Yeah, it's wasteful, but who cares? Like I, after a few meals, you'll, you'll get over the paper plate thing. And then you can cook without waste for a lifetime. But if I make you do cleanup in the beginning, you're going to quit. So forget it. Let's like let's get rid of it. Yeah, it, it seems to me. And by the way, we're just we're not even going to go down all the letters because that has other stuff we're going to talk about too. But I, 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 it seems to me that it's almost like I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it because it reminds me of like when I started getting onto a healthy eating and fitness plan. Okay, one of my sort of uh, annoying non-negotiables that I was able to avoid was yeah. I didn't want to be a calorie counter. I didn't yeah. want to sit there and be looking at the at the shit and say like, oh God, you know, I'm now I'm at what and carry the two. And so I found a plan that worked for me where I didn't have to do that at yeah. all. So it was almost like reversing how I wanted to do stuff and then putting things into the parameters that I sort of created for myself. You know yeah. what I mean? As opposed to this is how you do it. It was like, here's, I want to find something that works under these somewhat parameters with a few, with some wiggle room. Is that, is that kind of a fair way of looking at sort of this yeah. approach? No, absolutely. I mean, you, you, if, if you're not going to do it, it doesn't matter what else, what bells and whistles there are, right? It just doesn't matter. And uh, so I, I think that that is honestly the first step. Now, you might then later learn like, okay, like this thing I thought I couldn't do isn't as bad. So I'll, I'll let it kind of slip in. But yeah, you start with like a realistic self-assessment. So like, what are the things I'm going to do? Like speaking as Tim Ferriss, I'm not going to spend an hour at the grocery store and then waiting in line, come home, spend, you know, 30 minutes prepping and then another 30 minutes cooking and then another 30 minutes cleaning up. I'm never going to do it ever, ever, ever. I'm never, ever going to do it. And my experience with cooking in the past was exactly that. Like I'd be like, okay, cool. I get really excited about a recipe. Cool, cool. I'm going to give this a go. And then I try and I'd be like, never Never again. again. Right. (laughs) Never again. Yeah. And uh, so just avoiding all of that avoiding all of it. And what that teaches you to do, so the, the purpose of this, it's kind of like Zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance, right? So that, a lot of motorcycle stuff, but it, that's a Trojan horse for teaching you about Zen and all this philosophical stuff. Similarly, you know, I want to use cooking which, uh, and eating, okay? So those two go together. So even if you never cook anything in the book, it'll make you, it'll take your eating experience from black and white to like a million colors in HD. Cool. But that's the Trojan horse for like treating the kitchen as the dojo for teaching you all the skills that apply to everything else, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. Yeah, right? no, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like the same thing. Like let's take, uh, let's, let's talk about books again. Okay. So there's, there's like a best writing book, like Pulitzer Prize, Booker Prize, and then there's best selling book. Not always the same thing. Very rarely, in fact. <laughs> Very rarely the same thing. And best selling, like you need to understand how to launch a book and so forth and so on. So let's, let's take the same approach. Like you're not going to count calories. I'm not going to do cleanup or spending a lot of time on grocery shopping. Okay, what are my non-negotiables for book launches? I don't want to do a uh, traditional book tour. I yeah, that's that. what I was just going to say. You don't want to get on the plane and have to go schlep over to yeah. 100 places or whatever. Yeah, like I, I, I've never done a traditional book tour. and I, I just have no interest. I right. did one or two signings and I was like, this is the most tiring, depressing thing I've ever done in my life. 
you know? <laughs> not to sugarcoat it or anything, right, 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 right. It, but it's just like, right. You know, you, you could be, you could be freaking, you know, Anthony Bourdain, like celebrity of celebrities, and maybe have like, if they don't like promote it properly, whatever you have, like, there's like six people showing up. Yeah, yeah. I once saw a show with Bethany Frankel when she had a book coming out. She was like at at some like place, and like two people showed up, and she wanted to kill yeah. herself. So yeah. what was? So how did you avoid that? Non. How did you get that on? You know, find a replacement or whatever you. Yeah, well, I just decided I'm not going to do that. So how can I take the same uh, amount of resources in, in cash and time and apply it somewhere else? It's like, okay, well, I could take that and, for instance, uh, partner with an event management company and throw a huge like 800-person launch party for my readers in New York City. Right. Less expensive. And, uh, you know, invite a bunch of buddies uh, who, who have a presence in the tech world to like, have like a dinner beforehand for less money and have hugely more impact, you know? Yeah, great and, example. Yeah, so that's, you know, figuring out what the non-negotiables are. Like, Tim Ferriss, the three-year-old, would, like, pound his fists and say, no, 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 no. Like, what are those things I'm not going to do? And then use that constraint to plan everything else. Right, because right? so, sometimes the stuff is not worth compromising kind of the happiness or values that you have. Like, something that popped into the brain as soon as you started talking about kind of this non-negotiables besides dating uh, yeah. is that is the uh, starting a business. Do you know what I yeah. mean? And I'm thinking to myself, there's a lot of people, you, I mean, you know this phrase, obviously, is starting a business around the lifestyle that you want or that you have, depending on yeah. where you're at, uh, as opposed to starting this monstrosity. And the next thing you know, you're like, don't want to go to work. You have to like drive somewhere. You're unhappy. Like, I know me, I love working from here. I love working from the condo. I love that freedom. I love, you know, these kind of things. And that's how I a business. It seems like you could apply these all these principles that we talked about today. Like if I was going to do that, you could talk to people that work from home and don't travel or work behind their laptops or read their books, all those different things, listen to their shows like this one, uh, you know, whatever it might be to get that result of finding that 20% that's going to work best for you. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a decision. So there's no one, there's no one perfect answer. Right? It's a very personal thing. Like I hate some things, I love others. And you love things and hate others. I mean, it's, it's a very personal thing. Uh, uh, one great book, I mean, if people are, are specifically interested in business, uh, one book that people may not have read is called Small Giants. Hmm. Uh, no, so I'm not. I think the subtitle is uh, Companies That Choose to Be the Best Instead of the Biggest or something like that. Okay, cool. And I'll find it. <laughs> by, by Bo Burlingham, who uh, was at Inc. at the time. I'm not sure if he's there anymore. But Small Giants, it's great. So it just talks about these companies where scaling is not one of their goals. Like, their goal is to have the best product in the world and sell to a finite customer base that is super high ROI, very low headache. And it's, it's a really cool book. But, uh, yeah, it, you know, really, I think learning is being adaptable, right? And learning quickly is being creative, like doing the non-obvious. Mm -hmm. And that's fun. Like, that exercise is really, really fun. Right. Uh, so if you look at, let's say, uh, the, the number one ranked restaurant in the U.S. Uh, when I wrote the book, which was Alinea in Chicago. All right, amazing restaurant. So you ha but you have two sides to the, to the restaurant. You have Grant Ackett's, who's like the most incredible, one of the most incredible chefs you'll ever see on the planet. The guys, even other world-class chefs are like, yeah, I'm afraid of that guy. <laughs> like, I don't know how he does what he does, you know? So you have Grant Ackett's. Then on the business side, you have a guy named Nick Kokonis. Nick Kokonis was a former derivatives trader and just really cutting edge, hyper logical business thinker. And when he looked at restaurants, he's like, 
okay, everybody does restaurants the same way, pretty much. Like you call up, you make a reservation, then you show up. He's like, the problem with that is, you know, you have like six to 10% of the losses are when three people show up to a four top, right? So three people show up to a four person table or no shows or whatever. And he's like, this is kind of dumb. Like, this is not the way you should do it. So he created a, a, a ticketing system, like a season to it, like Jets games. We're basically, or the opera, where you buy awesome. tickets <laughs> in advance for the season, and there are a limited number of tickets, and then it's done. Like you don't have the usual reservations, and That's you a pay. Brilliant idea. Yeah. And their last, check this out. So they have a couple of restaurants. Uh, one is Next, which uh, changes the menu and the theme, the entire theme. Like it would go from like Thai street food to you know, Escoffier 19, uh, 1903, 1906, whatever it might be. Like, totally new restaurant every, like, three to four months. And they sold out uh, the, one of their more recent seasons, which was emulating a restaurant called El Bulli, which used to be in Spain. Their entire season, they sold out in about 10 seconds. <laughs> this is in Chicago. I've heard about this, right? They sold out. Okay. Sold out. Like, restaurant booked every night for the entire duration it's open, 10 seconds sold out. That's amazing. I mean, it's just another way of, of rethinking this. I mean, it's, it's brilliant, Tim. And I want to I wanna wrap with a couple of things. And I have um, uh, a couple of questions that came in from our community as well for you. But yeah. I want to I ask the Tim Ferriss question to Tim Ferriss about this in general. Um, yeah. And that is for those that are looking to learn something quick or quicker, as, yeah. as we discussed today, they want to apply this meta learning and they're yeah. learning how to learn. What are the biggest pitfalls or mistakes that you see with people when they're applying this to whatever the skill is that they're looking to master? A uh, few things. Uh, the, first, the first, which is the same with business, same with dieting, all that, trying to do too many things at once. Mm. Biggest mistake. All right. And uh, we didn't get into great depth of it, but just to talk about it super briefly, like sequencing. Okay. You have to win in the beginning. You have to set it up so you can win. So, for instance, if I, if I meet someone who wants to lose 150 pounds, I'm not going to even have them do any exercise for the first two to three months. I'm going to say, you know what? I just want you to change your breakfast. All I want you to do is like 30 grams within 30 minutes waking up. Don't change anything else. And, of course, they're going to change other things just because. But the, mentally, though, it's an easy task as opposed to a, a ridiculous one. Right. So mentally they are, they're like, I am succeeding at my diet if I do 30 grams within 30 minutes waking up. So if, if you're like, okay, cool, I'm excited, like I'm super psyched to like jam on Spanish because I've, I've always wanted to learn it, I can use it every day, whatever. You're like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn 200 words a day because that's my max capacity. Don't do that. Because mm -hmm. then as soon as you have like a last minute meeting or you have to cancel something or you're too, too, too tired and you're like, fuck, you know, I only got, pardon my French, but I'm oh, a little French away here. French from away. Long Island, so it comes out. But it's like, fuck, you know, I only got 100 words today. That means I need to do 300 tomorrow to get back on track. You're dead. You're toast. So don't do that. Make it really winnable in the beginning. Like, start slow. Like, whatever you think you can do, do 10%. You okay. know? Like, you, got it. That's you know? great advice. And, and it should be as stress-free as possible. So part, well, the way I learned to swim was using total uh, the total immersion method. And one of the things they say is, like, this is not a workout. If you go to the gym, to the pool, and you feel like you're exerting yourself hard, stop. Mm. This is technical practice. Your, your goal is to make propulsion as effortless as possible. So if you're expending a lot of effort, breathing heavily, stop. And that's, that would be my recommendation for learning as well. Like you're trying to pick up 
you know, you name it. I'm just going to use knife skills because it scares so many people. And like, perfect. We want to we want to inflict fear here. Yeah, yeah, and it's and uh, you know my, you know my I have a good mom, great mom, and like she so she's like, oh, you know, Tim's on his own. This was fucking ten years ago. <laughs> like so, he should learn how to cook and like here are two knives, like nice knives, like pretty you know not crazy, but like yeah, you know, very decent knives. And they just sat in that freaking block, like a sculpture, for ten years, like. <laughs> I would try to do something, and I'd like nick my fingernail, and I'd be like, "Oh no, no, no!" Like, you know, I'm gonna go out for food. Like for for nine bucks an entree, I'll just I'll just eat out. And um, so now I can literally like I could be watching this video, like cutting onions, like fine dicing an onion simultaneously without looking at it, and find it relaxing, which is nuts, right? Yeah, it is slightly but, nuts. Yeah, it's nuts. but like the way you start is not by fine dicing an onion with a really sharp knife. Like you, you start by getting something like a lettuce knife, which you can like tap on your hand and won't cut you, but it has the same form as a real chef's knife. And you practice cutting celery, like while you're watching TV. It's no stakes, no risk, and that's how you start. Okay. You, know, you, you don't practice a, a new skill under performance pressure. It's not like you're not going to practice your knife skills when you're making a dinner for people for the first time. That's nuts. You're just setting yourself up to fail. So, uh, bringing it back full circle, like do the least amount necessary to feel like you're winning, not the most possible. Okay, got it. That's a that's a great piece of advice. Now I got two questions that came in. Actually, there are a lot of questions, but I chose two uh, okay. here uh, for you. Um, this is an interesting one. This is from Matt, and I'll let you apply this to food if you want to, Tim, even though it's a fitness-related one. So yeah. Matt wants to know, what's the craziest body hack that you've done since the book came out? So we talk, and we're talking four-hour body, your yeah. book before here. So in between four hour body and four hour chef, have yeah. you done anything that's just like apeshit crazy? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, I can actually. So they're really closely related. There's actually a lot of body hacking stuff in the four hour chef because it's it's food related, right? And uh, everything's kind of broken down. Everything's pretty much slow carb compliant except for the cheat day. So I'll, let me talk about cheat day. So uh, people have seen some of my cheat days before where I've gone completely ballistic. Uh, so I took. I decided to take that to a new level. So uh, for the Four Hour Chef, I used the body metrics you know, ultrasound device to track body fat by by fraction of millimeter, like very accurate stuff. Measure my body fat, and then uh, one day I had a, an eating competition, like a competitive eating session with a bodybuilder. And what we both had in front of us was the Ben and Jerry's Vermonster, which is intended for like eight people. So okay. it's fifteen thousand calories. 500 grams of fat, uh, I don't know what it is, like 12 scoops of ice cream, a bunch of bananas, cookies, uh, brownies, whipped cream, fudge, it's disgusting. I mean, <laughs> uh, with eight people, it's awesome, but we, we, uh, we each ate one in 20 minutes or less, and, uh, which I don't recommend. Oh my God. But yeah. so, I, so I measured my body fat, then I did the Vermonster. The, ne the very next morning, I woke up and I did a food marathon with, in New York City, which is uh, 26.2 dishes in 26 locations in 24 hours. Oh my God. It's like another 15 to 20,000 calories. <laughs> and then by using a lot of the, the, the hacks from the four hour body, but a few, a few new things, next day, measure my body fat, lower percentage body fat. Uh, what, 10 air squats? It better not have been the, just the air squats. I'm sure you did something else crazy there. there. There's more to it than the air squats. I mean, you, you certainly had, you know, PAG and, and CISIS, quadrangularis, and a couple of other sort of, uh, you know, biochemical insurance policies. But, 
That is cra- that. All right, that's crazy, man. I'll tell. I'll tell you right there. You answered that question two yeah. a. I have a feeling Matt will be very happy with that answer. Uh, final, final question. And this one, don't feel like you have to go three here on this one. So feel free to go one. But uh, this one came in from Jesse. I thought this was a great question. He said, Tim, uh, for you, what are your top three high performance habits that you've developed uh, that have contributed to your success the most? If you can't, you know, that's three is kind of an arbitrary number there. So if it's not three, we don't have to go necessarily three. But that was his question. Three high performance habits. I'm just going to, I'm going to riff on the first three that come to mind. Okay. So the, the first is scheduling 80-20 analysis of my life. So not when you feel like it, not just when you feel overwhelmed, but let's say every two weeks doing an 80-20 analysis, uh, focusing on mostly emotion. So what are the 20% of activities, people, et cetera, in my life that are contributing to my uh, feelings of happiness, Mm -hmm. fulfillment, excitement? What are the 20% of activities, people who are contributing to 80% or more of my feelings of anxiety? overwhelm, stress, insomnia, et cetera, and acting accordingly. So really scheduling that. That's a great, that's a great, that's a good is huge practice huge. there. Uh, the second would be in the, this, so there's, there's, in my mind, to be fulfilled, there are two pieces of the puzzle. There's achievement and then there's appreciation. Okay. And if either one of these are out of whack, the the ship fails like you will crash and burn and then you have to recover so again for high performance uh group dinners with friends at least once a week yeah long group dinners like three people or more two to three hours in length long dinner with friends or family uh i think that i do think that for men like dude time is important for women like you know girl time woman time whatever is important. So it's like not just with the family, but like you need an environment, two to three hours, where you can kind of let off, let off steam uh, once a week. I find I, when I violate that, I find myself getting overwhelmed for whatever number of reasons. And when I have it, I almost never find myself overwhelmed. I actually feel exactly the same, and I, I feel the exact same way about that for sure. We actually have the dinner tomorrow night, and you know, I, I do like hockey and stuff like that. You know, what I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just I. A hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, as my girlfriend would say, it's not on the calendar. It's not real. So get it on the calendar. You know, don't let it slip. Don't wait to have an excuse to put it off. You know, get it on the calendar. Uh, then the third thing I would say is uh, heavy. Well, not necessarily heavy. Resistance training, weight training, mm-hmm. uh, getting to the gym and working specifically on the posterior chain, like the base of your skull to your Achilles tendon, like all the back, hamstrings, everything, so that you're not, you know, you, you want to undo all of that damage that, it, that is accrued from sitting for long periods of time or being at a laptop for long periods of time. So that posterior chain work, super important. Uh, those, would be, those would be the first three that come to mind. Those are awesome. Those are awesome. Well, Tim, this has been awesome today. I want to spend the last, you know, minute here. Got to talk a little bit about the new book here. Uh, it's kind of, the, the official release date is November 20th. Um, yep. it, you, uh, we want to encourage people to get this at Amazon. And for those that are catching, obviously people are going to catch this interview now for years and years and years. But let's just assume that they're going to catch it right when it comes up here and, and during, during your launch that's going to be going on. Um, you've got something cool for people. Uh, tell, tell us what's going on with that. Yeah, for sure. So the, the book is, uh, 
it's, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever put together. And we had teams around the world working on this thing around the clock. Uh, 1,500 plus photos, hundreds of illustrations. We have Calvin and Hobbes in there. Literally. My favorite cartoon when I was a kid. Yeah, no way. We have, we have Calvin and Hobbes in there. We have supermodels from Victoria's Secret in there. Why not? Uh, we got something for everybody. So anyway, what I want to say is uh, it's a great holiday book. So for people who buy three copies, one for you, two for friends or family, I want to do uh, a like an exclusive private Q&A with me. Awesome. So I'll pop a bottle of wine. You have an hour or two to ask me whatever you want. And we'll do that uh, after launch week. But if you buy three copies of the print book, real important, if you buy three copies of the print book, just send the Amazon receipt to three books at fourhourchef.com. So the number three books spelled out at fourhourchef with the number four, four, then H-O-U-R-C-H-E-F.com. And uh, you'll get an invite to uh, this Q&A. It's, it's, it's that easy. And then we'll, we'll have a lot of fun with it. So I'd like to offer that to people since it is tis the season. Um, for those people who, are, who find that of interest, I would love to jam. All right, very cool. So, and that's four spelled out in there, right? F-O-U-R. What, what, uh, four is with the, the with number. The four. I mean, both will probably work. I'll set it up so both work. But if you can remember three books at fourhourchef.com and use the numeral three and numeral four. Cool. And we'll link that up uh, as long as that's live in the, in the first week here below in the show notes. Tim, I can't thank you enough. And also, I want to congratulate again. This was quite an undertaking. And also, I want people to think about this when they get this book. Um, it's not just like how to cook. I mean, that's not what this is. There's so much more. It's how to learn. It's how to do all these different things that we talked about today. So it, it's not a, it's not uh, Uncle Grandpa Mushi's uh, cookbook here. So uh, uh, Tim, we appreciate it, man, and good luck with everything. And thank you again for, as usual, being so generous with your time, my man, and good luck. Yeah, my pleasure, man. You know, I hope people enjoy the, the cookbook for people who don't buy cookbooks, which is really, really what it is. So thanks for taking the time, man. Always have fun. All right. Well, thanks, Tim. This was Tim Ferriss here on The Rise to the Top. Reminders, go to therisetop.com slash VIP. Put your email in. You're going to get interviews like this uh, from Tim and all the other sexy people we have on The Rise to the Top. I'll see you next time. I'm David Seitman Garland. And remember, if you want some fluff, you know what to do. Go pet a bunny. And one more quick reminder, you could jump on that free trial of go to my PC, access your Mac or PC from anywhere. So iPads, iPhones, on the go, etc. Head over to go to my PC. Here's what I want you to do. Go right there. You're going to see like this orange try it free button. Click on that and then enter the promo code RISE. You're going to get a 45-day free trial. Definitely got to check that out. 